Welcome to the Voices of Wall Street podcast, a show bringing fresh insights about the stock market, economy, and the most innovative companies from the sharpest people in the world of business and finance. I'm Dion Rubowin. This episode, we're speaking with Bill McMahon, CIO of Active Equity Strategies at Charles Schwab Investment Management. Bill tells us how he values equities during a time when many say traditional valuation methods are dead, the significance of the current earnings season, why he's bullish on semiconductors, and why widespread adoption of an eventual COVID-19 vaccine could take longer than many investors are expecting. You are the head of equity strategies, and you are, I mean, would it be fair to call you a value investor, a value-focused investor? Um, it's a good question. I, I think there's certainly some of our strategies that have value biases, but I've always kind of thought of myself being more flexible. Um, some companies we own or fall, find themselves in the growth categories and others in the value categories. But uh, one thing that has that we do look at is we want to make sure companies are trading below what we think they're worth. So it's sort of an intrinsic value type of concept. Mm, okay. And there's a lot of people I think out in the market right now that would say that value calculation or you know that interpretation of valuing stocks based on you know where they are or their their PE ratios things like that is kind of a dead art form that you just you know you buy the dip you buy the market you buy these growth stocks and that's how you succeed in the market what do you say to them because they've you know those investors while it may not be as thoughtful a strategy have performed pretty well they have yeah i mean i think part of it is your perspective i think for 2020 which has certainly been an odd year by most of our calculations, uh, paying attention to value metrics has not served you well. In fact, a lot of them have performed very poorly going back to the, the late 90s types of, of relative returns. I think looking out over, over time, I think it only makes sense to buy things below what you think they're worth. And some people will equate that with low uh, multiples of earnings or sales or cash flow. What we tend to spend most time on is trying to come up with more of a Evaluation methodology that encompasses future growth characteristics as well as the business characteristics uh, in the nearer term. So, in and when you talk about future view, growth characteristics, sorry, uh, does that mean future growth of the economy or future growth of the particular company? Of the particular company. Um, so, a lot of what we do is is more of a discounted cash flow methodology, in which we try to forecast out a company's sales, earnings, and cash flow, and then discount them back to present to see what that that business is worth. We subtract out all the liabilities of the company, whether it's on balance sheet or off, and then we come up, we think that stock is worth per share. And then we compare that per share value to what the stock is trading in the marketplace. And as long as there's a differential there, we think it's an attractive holding and we'll go ahead and buy it. But it's it's different than a lot of value investors may, may approach it. Yeah. Has that strategy been, has that evolved over the past few years or has that changed over the past few years as some of these growth stocks have really just gotten to multiples that, you know, 10, 20 years ago, no one would have even considered buying? I think it's a good question. I I think what's changed really isn't so much the growth stocks, it's more the environment. And by that, I mean, it's, it's the fact that rates have gotten to where they are. If you think about rates in the United States and a lot of places globally, they're negative on a real basis when you infl- when you subtract inflation. And so I think that has a lot to do with valuations more so than the businesses themselves. 
Hmm. That's interesting, but we have been in this environment, what, since 2008? And so that's, I guess, why I ask, or I guess 2009, I should say. We've been in, in this environment since 2009. And so does that then alter the way you think? Because if you listen to what Fed Chair Jerome Powell and really every member of the Fed has said, we're going to be in this environment at least till 2023. I haven't really heard an analyst that thinks that interest rates are going to go above 1% uh, one percent within the next five years, maybe even ten years. So, I mean, what does that tell you in terms of how you're looking at your philosophy and approach to investing going forward? It's it's a good question. Where I think a lot of people may be mistaken when they look at some of these businesses are they forget about competition. Um, and companies with big, attractive markets that are growing fast at high levels of profitability do attract competition, and I think that's what could upend a number of investors who focus solely on these great growth stories. There will be upstarts that come in and, and nip away at share. There'll be larger companies that sort of elbow their way into the industry and take share, regardless of where rates go. I think one thing on rates to mention, though, is I think this year when the Federal Reserve came came in in a big way back in March, it did force rates down to sort of a new low on a negative basis. And so I think that that has had a lot to do with the, the current year environment, too, even though they've been low, as you point out, since the, the Great Depression or the Great uh, Global Financial Crisis. They've sort of hit a new low here recently. And I think that's kind of helping to, to fire up some of the businesses that are in the growth categories. Right, right. All right. I want to switch gears a little bit. We are in earnings season right now. It's picking up. Given the current environment, how much do earnings really matter uh, in this moment that we're living in right now? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I would say for a lot of investors, they probably don't. And the reason I say that is because a lot of investors have chosen passive strategies, which they just want to replicate the market. So in the, for those investors, earnings probably don't have a lot of impact other than sort of a headline that they may read. Uh, in our approach, earnings are a very, very important part of our process in which we update all of our forecasts every quarter to account for new information that comes through the earnings reporting cycle. So for us, it's a very important piece. What we tend to do is we look at how the business is operating versus our uh, projections from the prior quarter, and we try to make course corrections based on what the, that data may tell us, favorable or unfavorable. So sometimes okay. you'll get very little new data from an earnings report. Other times you'll get a lot of meaningful data. And when you say course correction, you mean um, buying more or selling some? Is that Potentially, yes, um, depending on how the companies report. Interesting. All right. And what sectors are you favoring right now as we're approaching the end of the year? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think we've got a fairly balanced approach. We still like technology, as a lot of people do. I think there are a, a number of companies there that are doing well. We're finding more and more uh, things like semiconductors in a lot of things we never dreamed of having semiconductors in. Cars are probably the most obvious, um, but there are other areas. No, wait, so just to go back to that, though, why did you never dream of having semiconductors in? I mean, why do you have them now? 20 years ago, I mean, for some of these older cars, I remember you know cranking down windows with a window crank. <laughs> so, you know, there's I think technology has come up a very long, a very fast way in a, in, a, in cars uh, where they've increased the number of content of semiconductors. So, I think I think that's an area where you'll see continued up uh, continued penetration of semiconductors in automobiles, particularly as we go to more electric vehicles. 
So you're, you're like, the reason you like semiconductors is just, is it purely because of their growth in cars or their growth in usage in cars? I think cars are, are a major part of it, um, particularly as they move to electrification. I think that's going to be a, a, another step function up in terms of the content that goes into each, cars, each car. Uh, where else I think it's going to be even maybe potentially bigger is in industrial uses. If you think about like factory automation, robotics, things like that, use a lot of semiconductors and sensors. And then I think around the home. Um, I don't personally use an Amazon uh, speaker, but I think a lot of people do. And things like that will increase the content in homes. But we've also seen things like Google Nest and smart appliances. And so you can kind of play this out in your mind and see over the next 10 or 20 years, a lot more technology being put into everyday things. And yeah, speaking of technology, obviously the stay-at-home trade has been pretty resilient. Um, I know a lot of folks on the value side were kind of hedging against that or leaning against that as we have pushed further towards the end of the year. Where do you stand on some of these stay-at-home names and the other side of that, which is the so-called reopening trade? I think it's a, it's one of those things we spend a lot of time thinking about, um, and I think ultimately what we've kind of located on is having a balance between the two. The stay-at-home trade, I, I think a lot of investors have piled into names that have sort of near-term certainty in terms of their earnings. You know, Peloton is a good example. I, I have a Peloton. I like using it, um, but it's a company that has done very, very well because gyms are closed. So it, it's not right. a very hard uh, sort of vision in your mind to look out a year from now where things are open, we have a vaccine and people want to get out and go back to gyms and do other things. So you could see that trade flip fairly quickly. You know, energy is a good example in that space too, where flights are down year over year pretty dramatically. People aren't traveling as much. Cars, miles driven and cars are down year over year pretty dramatically. So with a vaccine and, and a return to somewhat of a normal environment, you could see energy usage pick up pretty dramatically and have a very different looking oil market a year from now than we do right now. Gotcha. Okay. Any any other names from that, uh, the stay-at-home trade or the reopening trade that you like, don't like? Um, we, we continue to like Microsoft. You know, Microsoft has done an extremely good job. I think they report tonight or tomorrow. Um, they've done an extremely good job of transitioning their business to the cloud. Their Azure platform is now number two in cloud services. That, that's the kind of company where we think we'll continue to win, win share in cloud as well as benefit from work at home trends. As a, an aside, it'll be interesting to see if, if the pandemic changes people's views of, of how they work. And by that, I mean, do companies start to reduce their commercial real estate footprint to uh, have more people work remotely? And so some of these things could be very sustainable longer term. Gotcha. And there's been some pretty good news recently on vaccines uh, from AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson, moving forward with phase three trials, a number of other names. How do you feel like that changes the, the thesis um, in terms of moving into 2021? I think it could potentially change it pretty dramatically. I think what you know, one of the things that always keeps in my mind is that only 40% of people take a flu vaccine. So to, to really have widespread adoption in a COVID-19 vaccine could take longer than, than some expect. Having the vaccine available may, may not be the entire story. It may be convincing people to then to go and have the COVID-19 vaccine. So I think that could potentially be a sticking point around when we really get back to normal. Um, but I do Does that push, push that out further? I think it could. 
Uh, it certainly has the potential for it. I think it's going to require a lot of trust and, and sort of messaging for people to go out and take it. Um, so that's one, one sort of wrinkle in the analysis. That's interesting. And so in, in terms of a best case, worst case scenario, judging that, because that's something I've been thinking about and talking with folks about too, where do you put those horizons in terms of best case scenario where we're back to so-called normal here and worst case could be at this point? I think best case we're hoping for next summer, late next summer to start to see more normalcy. And that is just based on somewhat of a guess, but assuming that the uh, vaccine gets announced early, uh, end of this year, early next year, it's available because they, they push it out to all the different uh, distribution points sometime in Q1 of next year. And then, then those who want it can have access to it. So I think that is kind of where, what I've been thinking in my mind is that sometime late summer next year, we could start to see more of a, of a normal environment. Um, and I think that's a little bit late. It could be pushed back later. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's a little bit further out than most of the market is probably thinking. How does that impact the way you view uh, certain stocks in the market overall? I think, I think it, it certainly does. And I think some of, the mar- some of the stocks in the market are reflecting it. Raytheon Technologies is a good example. They reported today, uh, and they're split between a defense business and a commercial aerospace business. And during that call, they, the management said they don't expect commercial aerospace volumes to hit 2019 levels until 2023. So there, there's clearly a lot of sort of room there before they see a return to normalcy. Um, and they may be being conservative. That number felt conservative to me, but the market, the stock reacted and the market has, has sort of punished it a little bit because of, of that view. Yeah, yeah, we've certainly seen that. Um, last question I'll ask you, Bill, and, and that's uh, the big thing I think on everyone's mind as we move towards November 3rd. We, you've got this election coming. You've said that the markets are rallying, assuming a democratic sweep. Um, what if the polls are wrong again this time? And I think the nightmare scenario I've heard from investors is not necessarily Trump or Biden wins, but it's that you get a president uh, Joe Biden and a Republican Senate that maybe isn't so amenable to a new stimulus bill or potentially a President Trump and a Democratic Senate. Uh, what's your thoughts on the potential scenarios for this election and what's maybe the best and the worst outcome for the market? Yeah, I think one of the things with our approach is we, we tend to look longer term through a lot of these short term changes. Um, and one of the reasons I say that is it, it doesn't mean that we won't course correct because of, of a change in scenarios. Um, but a lot of the times we want to own businesses that will do well in either scenario, whether a President Trump remains in office or there's a new president in November. So we want to make sure we own companies that will do well in either circumstance. Yeah. I, I can see – Bill, don't we, aren't we in a regime though where the – because of where the economy is, that a fiscal stimulus bill is more important or more – it's going to have more of an impact than it normally would? It's – in my sense, I think the fiscal stimulus, if, if announced sometime early next year, would be sort of like another sugar high. I think that may end up being short-lived by the fact that there's going to be more taxes and regulation behind it. Um, so I think that would, would cause it to be so somewhat faded fairly quickly because I think taxes and regulation would ha- would have a negative effect uh, once once people got through the the sort of benefits of a package. 
And is that under a, a, pre, a second President Trump administration as well, or just under a Joe Biden administration? That would be under sort of more of a blue sweep scenario. Um, under a Trump scenario, I could see um, having some some negative impacts from the um, a new trade war with China start to rear up again. Uh, that that could be one negative scenario I see there. But again, we we tend to look through a lot of these things, so they're not impacting how we're investing today. It's just more conjecture on my part. Gotcha. All right, Bill, anything that I didn't ask you that you think I should have? I think in terms of positioning, I mean, you, you touched on this a little bit, which I think is a good question, sort of growth versus value. I, I think that remains one of the more interesting stories in equities. Um, and I think, you know, as you pointed out at the beginning, a lot of people have been very wise to, to adhere just to, to growth stocks and not pay attention to, to prices paid. But I think ultimately over time that that should revert. And the other thing I would I would ca- caution people too, particularly for those who are retired, is to start to look in the dividend space. Uh, with with bond yields where they are, dividends can help you sort of bridge the gap to your income needs in retirement. So that's one area where I would I would encourage people to start looking through as we go into next year. Yeah, and with all the companies kind of pulling back on their dividends, I mean, where are people going to be able to get the most bang for their buck right now in this environment? There's a lot of good companies that, that have actually increased dividends this year in addition to some of the higher profile cuts. But I mean, a lot of the areas that, that we would recommend are sort of in the consumer staples area. You know, Procter & Gamble has been a, a longtime dividend payer, dividend grower. They've had very good results to this pandemic. You could say they're one of the beneficiaries of lockdowns with people loading pantries, um, buying more and more household cleaning products and the like. But that's the kind of company that I think would would benefit a lot of people. Um, I know a lot of concerns about healthcare too, but I think early next year there could be some interesting uh, opportunities in healthcare that that could provide uh, some good return for people looking to live off of dividends. And then I would say in technology too, there's some good good paying companies in technology. We talked about semiconductors, but Texas Instruments is a name I would I would point people to is one that we we think is attractive. Microsoft again has a dividend that we think is attractive. That does it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Bill McMahon, CIO of Active Equity Strategies at Charles Schwab Investment Management. As always, today's episode of Voices of Wall Street was produced by Mike Teich.